With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today from the ringer, one of our old friends, Ben Solak. Ben, thanks for doing this, man. It always feels so weird to hear you do the intro at 1x speed because whenever I'm listening, it's at 2x speed. And it's just You're like, a psychopath. Welcome to Football Show. I'm your host, Robert Mays, and it's so much slower now. I don't understand how people listen at 2x to anything. I am a 1x podcaster. I I'm, don't go for efficiency. I respect the art of the medium too much. <laughs> but... The idea that anyone would listen to me, my voice, and the way that I talk and my cadence at 2x speed doesn't seem like an enjoyable experience in the least. It seems awful. I cannot believe you would willingly do that to yourself. I just wouldn't listen to the show. If that if I had that little time, I'd just be like, it's not worth it. I'm not getting enough from this to make it worth my time. It's not even like the, like the save time thing. It's just I talk very fast i was raised in an immigrant family where everybody talks really fast and to me everybody else is talking slow let's keep it moving people got places to do people to see it's always funny when people tell me when they listen on 1x or when they listen they watch the youtube channel because they're so used to listening on 1.5 that it just sounds like we're both very drunk extremely wasted it's very funny I I respect anybody that can do that all right we're gonna do something today that i used to do while writing for one of our old colleagues, Ben Glicksman, when he was my editor at The Ringer, I used to call it the Wild Card Threat Index. So when we get to Wild Card Weekend, I always thought it was fun to look at the teams playing on Wild Card Weekend and try to figure out who was actually the biggest threat to the contenders in the league. And we're gaming the system a little bit with this, okay? By my crude calculations, there are about 22 teams that are still alive for the playoffs or have currently made the playoffs. Of those 20, I'm not counting the Raiders, who need like 5 million things to go right for them to make it. I'm not counting them and the Steelers and teams that have like a less than 2% My chance. father has been updating me. He's a Steelers fan. I've been home for a week. He's been updating me on the Steelers playoff chances. They get the win, you know, whatever. He's, I showed him the 538 playoff machine. He's thrilled. He wakes up every morning, 4%, Ben. Okay, here we go. We're going to do it, baby. The te- So the team's at the bottom of that ranking, right? The Raiders are at 0.9%. The Steelers are at 2%. The Saints are at 3%. We are going to talk about the Saints today because it- even though the math tells me it's incorrect, their chances of making it don't seem so far off. They'd have to beat the Eagles and beat the Panthers this week, which we'll get into. They're probably not going to do that, but I included them in my 16 teams for our purposes here. Six teams that are in the playoffs or on track to make the playoffs that I did not include. The Bengals, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Cowboys the Niners, and the Eagles. I did not include those teams because I think we all know those are the contenders. If you look at any metric right now over the last six weeks, those are the six teams, one through six in offensive and defensive DVOA combined. So the eye tests, the numbers, everything. We don't need to make cases for why those teams are dangerous. So we're excluding those six teams. So we're left with 16 
that have a chance to make the playoffs and are not considered true blue contenders. That's how I'm gaming the system and gaming this list. What we're going to do is we are going to rank those teams from 16 to 1. We're going to spend less time on some of them because we spend all the time we need to on all 16 teams. We'll be here for three hours. So that's what we're going to do today. Before we do that, though, have to address some news. Before we started recording this show earlier this morning, J.J. Watt on Twitter announced that he is retiring after the season. Christmas was his last home game with the Arizona Cardinals. Posted a very cute picture of him and his new baby and his wife. Right uh, way to I announce. W- fantastic. Yeah. I-, I wanted to talk about this for a few different reasons. One, I feel like my career is weirdly linked to J.J. To Watt's time in the NFL his rookie year with the Texans was my first year at Grantland. It was my first year in sports media as a professional. His second year was 2012. It was the first year I really covered the NFL. And I remember in week two that season, they played Jacksonville. And back then, access to all 22 through NFL Game Pass was actually fantastic. <laughs> it was right. a great service. It was very easy to use. And it was really the first time I had dug into the tape. And I was watching him in that game, and I was like, this guy is an alien. Like, I just don't understand why he's this much better than everyone else on the field. And so that 2012 season, he was dominant. I mean, it was one of the best seasons we've ever seen a defensive player have. It was his second year in the league. And it was the first time I wrote about the NFL full time. I probably wrote about JJ Watt 15 times that year. And it was really cool this morning when people saw the announcement, reached out to me and were like, I remember you writing about him all those times that's back right. in like 2012. And that's true. It was 10 years ago. And that a year later in the summer after the 2013 season, in 2014, that summer, I went to Houston and spent some time with him and you know wrote a pretty big story about where he was at and you know some of the goals that he had and where he was in the league and what kind of contributed to his brilliance and all of that. And so it just it's it's strange to me, you know, the fact that it's a decade later and he's announcing his retirement and, you know, I'm 10 years into my career and I just wanted to kind of take a minute to take a step back and celebrate the kind of player that he was, because for people like you who were eight years old in 2012, yeah, for sure, for sure. It, it's hard to, I think, comprehend just how dominant. J.J. Watt was playing and play out from like 2012 through 2015. His peak was unlike anything I think we've seen in my lifetime for a defensive player that includes Aaron Donald. And I don't know if we're going to see something like that again. He had about 120 tackles for loss in four seasons. Casual. Uh, I mean, just absolutely insane. Like all of the splash, splash plays. He won defensive player of the year three times over that stretch. He is a no doubt about it. First ballot hall of fame player. One of the best players I've ever seen And really the first player that as I started my career was that level of dominance. And I'm going to remember it finally, like watching him and kind of getting to celebrate those years early on in his career is one of my favorite times covering the NFL. And, you know, it was a pleasure, I, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. The, uh, the TFL stats are my favorite ones. He had 39 TFLs in 2012. It's the most TFLs in a single season by 10. Tied for second with 29 apiece are J.J. Watt in 2015 and J.J. Watt in 2014. <laughs> and, then you, and then you start getting to different names with Chandler Jones at four. It's the, the ability to produce that much against the run behind line of scrimmage at defensive end, right? He's not even playing on the interior. Yeah. It's like half of the runs are going the other direction. They're not even headed his way. Is It, it, it was a testament to what he was. And it's funny because like you make the, 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 the joke about the age because, of course, you do. Uh, it's, it's, it's my memories of J.J. Watt are like, being in high school and arguing J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, who's the best, 
Like, like he's he's like Mike. I think of JJ Watt in terms of like dumb sports arguments when like you and your friends were old <laughs> enough to like have phones and Google. Like that's that's what I think of him as. And that to me is is fun for a whole separate reason. Just because like when we go and we look back on this era of football, we will define it by Aaron Donald, define it by his, you know, in terms of this era of defensive football, we'll define it by Aaron Donald and define it by his production. But this is, this is the earliest era of football that like I have that like, you know, like working mature memory of. And I'll remember that there's a way in which this era is not defined by Donald. There's a way that Watt stays healthy in 2016, healthy in 2017. And it's defined by Watt. And that like, you know, that that's a, that's going to be a fun, what if for a long time. But even though we did, we got the injuries and, you know, the, the end of the career didn't, didn't have the same production as the early career did that five-year stretch four-year stretch whatever it was man ne- it won't be matched it'll never be matched the, that much production for a player on the defensive line the production is what sets it apart right i think i said this today if you wanted to compare the overall play-to-play impact that him and donald have it's probably on the same level but the splash plays are what makes it different the tfl stats are yeah. inconceivable that they're so huge but it's also the passes deflected the, the amount of batted passes he had over that four-year stretch. I mean, he was up there with like defensive backs and linebackers, you know, for stretches of that time and how many hands, you know, how many balls he was getting his hands on. It was absolutely insane. And, you know, there are a couple of moments that, that stick with me. The, the game that he had against the Bills in 2014, that's the one that is the craziest in my mind. He didn't have a sack and he absolutely wrecked the game. He had 15 pressures in that game. He had nine quarterback hits and he returned an interception for a touchdown. They won the game 23 to 17. Like he took over the game and he did not have a sack. I, he was in the backfield every single time the Bills threw the ball in that game. I still remember it vividly. I watched it at a bar in Los Angeles. I was like 26 years old. Yeah. I mean, those are That's the type of impact he had and kind of how large he looms in my memory is that I remember specific moments and where I was watching him during that stretch of my career because that's just kind of what I did every week. I would go and just watch the Texans and watch what J.J. Watt did and right. the conversations I've gotten to have about him I remember talking to Wade Phillips for that story and just kind of talking about where JJ ranked compared to some of the guys that Wade Phillips had coached. And this is before he coached Aaron Donald, but he had coached Reggie White and Bruce Smith and some of the greatest defensive players of all time and just how much respect he had for Watt. And when you talk to offensive linemen about him, you know, Mitchell Schwartz is tweeting about it today. I remember talking to Marshall Yondo about him. He was just his own challenge. You know, how many different ways he could win and how many rules he would break and just how difficult he was to account for in every aspect of the game. He was a one of one player and that's how I'll remember him. And it's kind of crazy that this is the end for him. But the last thing is I, he said a couple things to me in that story that really kind of, I remember still like him saying them to me in the moment we were in like a little conference room in the Texan stadium in Houston. And we were talking about just everything he was putting in and how, little personal time he had and you know he was living like a like rocky in siberia yeah, this is when summer. he was like going to the cabin in the off season right and well was, like, it was he was living with his trees. buddies yeah, yeah he was living with his buddy in his buddy's apartment and it was like a little apartment complex in suburban milwaukee i went there i went to the apartment and i saw it it was just like a little spot that you'd live in with your 20 something friends and he was jj watt it was just very strange and i was like you really think you got to live like this you got to do this every single day and he said you know somebody's got to be the best ever at something. And as I see it right now, I wonder why it can't be me. I wonder why I can't be the best in the world at this for the very short time that I get to do it. And I'll play for 10 or 12 years. And then when that's over, 
I'll get to sit on my porch with my buddies and get to have a beer and say, man, that was pretty cool. And he's 33 years old. He's got his whole life ahead of him. And he gets to look back at this past decade and say, man, that was pretty cool. I won three defensive player of the year awards. I was one of the greatest players in NFL history. And now I'm a fairly young man with my health intact, a legacy intact. He's still playing pretty well. And now he gets to live the rest of his life. So it's cool stuff. It's very weird for me. It's like a little symbol of mortality when you cover a guy start to finish like that with yeah. that sort of proximity and then see him walk should away. i talk about what age i was again when he was playing yeah that you go, yeah. go ahead yeah, yeah that's that certainly that's yeah. certainly well all right let's dig into this uh we're gonna go 16 to 1 here in the wild card threat index uh we'll probably run through the teams at the top here pretty quickly i'm curious who's at 16 for you the least threatening team with a real chance to make the playoffs Absolutely the New Orleans Saints. I had no issue with this one. This- oh man, I they are not number 16 for me. <laughs> no, I do not I do not take the Saints seriously. I appreciate the fact that Andy Dalton is still playing as mediocre of ball as Andy Dalton has always played. It's still the, in his mid thirties. Uh, Olave is a nice young player. Uh, Rashid, Rashid Shahid. If I, I can't say his name correctly, but he's. I think they've got a nice little player there. Uh, Kamara. They've gotten a little bit healthier on the defense. Like I understand, there's a lot going on there. They just don't have teeth. They they don't they don't scare me with what they do. Besides the 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 creation of the shot play, besides like all right, Taysom Hill means they might convert a third and three on me that they otherwise wouldn't. Uh, they're not a high scoring team. They aren't a team that avoids mistakes. They're defensively they're uh, still like structurally what they used to be. And like Alante Taylor is playing well. And like again, there's like pieces there that are solid. But we're in week sixteen. I'm no longer about like oh I can see how this is coming together. The fruit of the the, the proof of the puddings in the Eaton. The Saints haven't been. Uh, a, a terrifying and impressive, a scary team to me in a while. Uh, and so I, I, the Saints backdoor it through this terrible NFC South, then man, the Cowboys should rest the starters. I mean, just chill. It ain't a problem. I have the Titans at 16. The Titans yeah. with Malik Willis and the state of the Titans defense, I comfortably have the Titans at 16. Mm-hmm. I have the Saints at 15 because the Saints defense is actually playing well. It's not the Saints defense of old. But down in and down out, they've been a plus defense for the last six weeks. And I think that they've settled in with their new personnel in a way they hadn't over the first half of the season. I still have them at 15 because I agree with a lot of that. But I still think this version of the Titans, if they were to sneak in, is the least daunting team that could possibly make the playoffs. Okay, so talk to me about the Titans with Malik Willis almost beat the Chiefs in the regular season. Because that was in my head the whole time I was trying to place the Titans. Their pass defense and the state of that unit overall has yeah. crumbled since that game happened. Yeah, if the, it was just injuries, a Malik yeah. Willis question, then I th- I would have a little bit more respect and be a little bit more afraid of the Titans. But I think everything that's happened on the other side of the ball combined with the state of their offense, that's why they're sitting there for me. I think yeah. among the four units, Titans offense and defense, Saints offense and defense, the Saints defense is the best unit of those four as things currently stand. And that's why they're 15th to me. Yeah, so I have the Titans at 14, and, and and the reason I have them there, like, besides the whole, like, you know, joke about hanging with the Chiefs and whatever, like, with Willis, they can still do a lot in the running game that can really like, shorten a game. They can take the ball out of an opposing quarterback's hands. I think that lets them keep a game short and gross and ugly, and the Titans, man, like, all they do is win those games. They haven't done it recently. They're 0-5. Like, it seems like the luck has finally run out. But Tennessee's got a they've-been-there-before-ism to them that, like, if they do have to play a playoff but game... But they really Williams, haven't been there before because most of the players that they're playing have not been, not there, been before. there before. <laughs> right. So I, I think they're well-coached, and I think that, like, Malik adds, has enough in his legs that, like, you have to now prepare for a mobile quarterback and the potential for, like, read option and stuff like that. And that's a little bit of a headache. They're 14 for me. At 15, I have Tampa, right? And, and Tampa with New Orleans, 
is a similar thing where like this team has not been scary. At no point have I been worried about the team. There's not been a game this season. Like even when Tampa had the good first half against the Bengals, like, oh, is it here we go? Is this it? Uh, no, it's not. Like th- this is a a uh nobody that plays for the Buccaneers looks like they want to be on the football team while they're out there, man. Like they are old, they are struggling late in the season, they can't get things together, the coaching staff is not only doesn't know how to maximize the team, they are brazen. They are proud of the fact that they don't know how they make it public. Oh, you want us to do play action on first down. What do you guys know about football? We don't know a lot, but we know this, man. This, this is not good. This is not a good team. Uh, so I, I have uh, uh, New Orleans at 16, Tampa at 15, and then Tennessee at 14. I kind of did a little tears thing, and all of those teams, including my uh, my 13th ranked team, are all in the, you know, I don't care at all. This doesn't scare me in the least bit, tier. Uh Looking at the Titans uh, injury chart on Pro Football Reference, it's like the scene from The Shining where all the blood comes out of the elevator. That, that's the amount of I've red that, sure, that's, sure. uh, that's the amount of red that's on this page right now. Other people hopefully will understand the reference. <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous how hurt they are. Okay, I have Washington at fourteen. Oh, I have Washington a little higher. I'm interested in this. I didn't know what to do with Washington because I just don't trust the offensive infrastructure right now at all. And not just the quarterback play, what's going on up front. Like anything outside of the pass catchers for them offensively, I'm severely worried about. The idea that Carson Wentz could be the quarterback moving forward and that it might be their better option right now is a tad bit concerning to me. After those first two teams, I had some trouble with like these next five. Mm. And Washington was next for me. And I, I guess, it's, yeah, the teams I had ahead, ahead of Washington, I guess it's more so that I have more faith in what they can piece together on offense. But even that, I, I don't know if that's a good reason. Where did you have Washington? Yeah. I have Washington at 10. Uh, when I, when I, when I look at threat index or I'm talking about like, okay, how do I find a way to lose to this team that I should probably beat? What I worry about are takeover units. What I worry about is, is, yeah. is individual players or group of players that can just kind of kick, kick your, your teeth in for 60 minutes. I do not want to deal with this wide receiver core. I don't want to deal with or the, the defensive line, probably right. Yes, and that exactly that was the other team. Yeah. I was going to say, I on the when they hold the ball, I with the way Jahan Dotson's been playing recently, I do not want to figure out. Okay, I got to cover Terry, cover Jahan Dotson, cover Curtis Samuel, who's going to be in the backfield half the time, and they're all going to be in motion. Like that's a headache. And then the defensive line, uh, Chase Young was in uniform this past week. I was like, oh, that's yeah. right, they have that guy. Like we haven't seen him in a bit. But Montez Sweat, John Allen, Deron Payne, like this is a you know Casey Tuhill, they're deep. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a good front. Uh, and so Washington to me. Like I'm an Eagles fan. The Eagles have two losses in the year. One is to Washington. So like I, I probably know better than most the fact that they they can win. They can win one. They can steal one on you. It's just the sort of team. Like even that Niners game. Like the score looks big, and then you go back and you watch. Like they had big plays called back, and like the the Niners had one cornerback injury, and all of a sudden Washington's hitting some deep shots. Like Washington's just got like, like Heineke's not trustworthy. He turns the ball over. He is a liability. But they've got dudes that I don't want to have to deal with. They're a headache to me as opposed to some of the teams I have below. Yeah, that's it's a very good point. And here's where I'm at with Washington. I've kind of written them off for this season because I have a lot of confidence in what they could look like next year with better quarterback play. That's yeah. just where they are in my mind. I've just kind of tabled the Washington football team for 2022 and thought, okay, when they when they have Derek Carr a year from now, I think this team is going to be really fun to watch and potentially scary. And I've probably done that too quickly compared to yeah. some of the other teams involved in this exercise. Now, Washington is the most quarterback away 
of a team uh, this year and of a team the last few years where like people like bring up, Oh, like, the Jets are quarterback away. You look at this Washington team, man. Like, when, when St. Juiced is healthy and with the way Jamin Davis has improved, the offensive line's really weird. They got like all over 30 free agents. They got to figure that out. But other than that, man, they're, they're very much a quarterback away. So I agree with you. It's easy to say like, Oh, well, they'll be better later. So they're probably not real right now, but Heineke, like he will attack man coverage and throw the football down the field. So all you need is like a crazy Terry catch and a crazy Jahan Dotson catch. And all of a sudden, like, they're in scoring distance. And, One and sack, fumble. Yeah. yeah. So they're yeah. volatile. I, I, I think that's a very good point, and I'm probably not giving them enough credence in this exercise. Okay. Who's next for you? Yeah. So, uh, like I said, 16 Saints, 15 Tampa Bay, 14 Tennessee, uh, 13 for me. I'm surprised you didn't say this team talking through it all. Is the Patriots? I the, the Patriots mean nothing to me, man. Like, again, like they're the, the last in my tier of, like, I don't give a hoot. Uh, this is a boring poorly coached team without dangerous weapons like even if their defense gets me and gets me for a while and and gets me in bad spots and gets turnovers I have to deal with Mac Jones angrily dirting the ball to Jacoby Myers while he yells at the sideline right I have to like tackle Ramondre that's going to be annoying that'll be physical for a little bit oh shucks but just offensively there are no teeth so uh unless I'm the Minnesota defense giving up 26 points on Thanksgiving or whatever it was I'm not worried about having having to like outscore this team, having to outpace this team. It's okay, as long as we're not actively shooting ourselves in the foot and letting their defense, which has scored like six touchdowns this year, score a seventh and score an eighth and beat me that way. As long as I'm not killing myself in terms in terms of how I play, I should be able to beat the Patriots. So the Patriots to me, toothless. Not worried about them. When I did this first, when I had my initial list, I had them at 14. Okay. And then I thought about it a little bit more. And I was like, I just cannot put them that low when the one-off Belichick bullshit game plan is just looming out there. It's, and it's not like other years. Remember, like, remember 2017 when they were like 30th in defensive DVOA and they got absolutely lit up in the playoffs against the Eagles in the Super Bowl, but there were stretches where they could put together some reasonable games and even other seasons where they've been bad over the course of the entire season statistically on defense, but they've been able to string it together. They've been actively good on defense all year. And I just worry about that one game where you score 12 points because they just catch you flush with one specific way they think they can stop you. And they win a game 15 to 11 somehow with Mac Jones in the state of their offense. And that's why I push them up a little bit further. They are. So since week eight, they're second defensive DVOA, which is just like stupid, but it's ridiculous. Those numbers are jacked up by scoring. Like they score so many points that, that they've, their defense has been, I think, like more productive than the actual talent in, implies just because of like how their turnovers actually generate points to them, keeps them in game, so on and so forth. It's a, like, I don't see how a legitimate division winner, right? Like forget, you know, Tampa Bay, a legitimate division winner loses to the Patriots unless they are actively losing the game themselves. They're just like doing the mistakes, having the knucklehead stuff, which Belichick can get you into those spots more than the average coach can, but also like, the coaching staff in, in, in New England, besides Belichick, is terrible. It's not good. I don't know. That don't scare me. Yeah, you're probably right. I just, it, there are too many examples of what they've done in the past for me yeah. to put them that low. The Belichick of it is tough. I have the Seahawks at 13. Okay. I just think that the offense has run out of steam a little bit. We talked about it on our recap show. Gino is 17th in EPA per dropback over the past six weeks. The state of their offensive line concerns me. 
Abe Lucas has been banged up. You know, they've had some issues on the interior. Tyler Lockett could play this week. It's not guaranteed that he's going to play. So I, what they're doing on offense right now, I think that they've just run out of gas a little bit, and I still don't feel really good about the defense. So I, I just have them kind of one tier ahead of the first three that I mentioned. Okay, yeah. Uh, so I'm now up into my tier of like, okay, I care about you a little bit. Uh, I get I at Seattle at 11 because I have Carolina at 12. And I have Carolina at 12 as well. Yeah, and so this Carolina, uh, you know, this game against the Lions, it's it, it's a feather in the cap to Ben McAdoo. They're running like 12 personnel stuff. They got Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble out there. They're running the ball in a variety of ways. The fact that they traded McCaffrey away and they're doing this two-headed backfield with Chuba Hubbard and Dante Foreman, both of whom look great. Like it is a testament to making chicken salad out of what you got and and, and coaching to your players. Like they are, this is our best group. Let's put our best group out there and let's, you know, play action stuff for Sam Darnold and let's maximize him. It's impressive. The offensive line continuity has been really big for them. That front's playing well. And then defensively, they always had talent and they, they've had like, you know, some mercurial weeks and some, you know, some, some bad moments, but I've generally been a solid unit. Like the, the, the play, the play of like a Frankie Louvu, right? It's just a testament to like, yeah. they've got guys, right? They, they have, they have playmakers defensively. With all of that said, this team lost to the Steelers two weeks ago. They are not to be trusted, right? And so it's okay. Like, yeah, they can they can have a game where they run all over the Lions. They generate a huge lead. They control the clock. They're ripping off explosive run plays. But where was this two week, uh, like the week previous, right? They just they week in week out they are creating stuff and finding stuff that sticks. And so like you know they're gonna bring something to the table you probably haven't seen. They're gonna have tough drives that are physical group. But I don't. I I I have not seen any level of consistency in terms of week in week out who they've played and how they've played them to fully believe in, in this team. So Carolina at 12 for me, Seattle, like I said, uh, above them at 11. And the thing with Seattle is I don't want to deal with Metcalf and Lockett. I don't want to deal with, with Gino when he's throwing the ball. Well, they have played in shootouts and they've won shootouts. So that stresses me out a little bit. Other than that, you know, I know how to beat this defense. I know how to beat this 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 front, like you said, this offensive front, where you isolate those rookie tackles and you really stress them out. And so there's aspects of Seattle that I think are a little bit more scary in terms of dynamic playmaking, has them above Carolina for me. Yeah, I like what Carolina is able to do up front about on both sides of the ball. And I think they have that yeah. potential in any single game. And that's what and maybe I'm overrating what I just watched this weekend, but that offensive line group is really interesting. And when I'm building the case for why I'm optimistic about what Carolina could look like next year with uh, new offensive coaching staff and some sort of answer at quarterback that offensive line and the group that they can bring back combined with DJ Moore, it's a pretty interesting group of guys. It's a pretty interesting nucleus of talent outside of even the star power that they have. They've been really lucky in the sense that they've had that group together almost the entire season. I don't know if they've had a starter miss a game this year. Haven't they played like 95% of their snaps with the same five Yeah, they all year? Yeah, it's it's been remarkable, but that group, I think most of them will be back next year. Bozeman is a free agent, but other than that, they should have that group intact moving forward. So maybe that's another example like Washington where I have good feelings about what they could look like in, in the future. Maybe that's coloring what they are right now, but mm-hmm. I just think the potential on on up front on both sides of the ball makes them a little bit dangerous in the way that Seattle is not right now. Yeah, the uh the head coaching theories for Carolina are really fun, right? Like Steve Oak's done a good job. You always want to be careful keeping the interim, right? I think that they should, they should go and they should hit the open market, see what they can get with these defensive pieces. Call up yourself a D'Amico Ryans, call up yourself a Lou Anarumo, call up yourself a Dan Quinn. Let's do this thing, baby. Like they got guys on the defensive side of the ball. The only reason I worry about that is because I need a plan on offense. 
after what it's looked like over the last couple of years, you know, their best moments were the first month of the 2021 season where they were cooking on defense. Phil Snow was cooking with those guys that they had, but they just have not found an answer or a plan offensively in a very long time. And I think if they do go out and draft a quarterback, you know, if they end up with, I don't know, where are they right now? Picking. Probably. Well, like if they, if they don't make the playoffs here, then they're going to be picking like 15, right? 14. So they're eighth right now. They, as, oh, as right. Because, right stand, because I forgot that they, they're going to make the playoffs at seven and 10. That's my bad. So, right. Let's say they lose to the, the, the Bucks this week. Let's say they finish the season seven and 11 or seven and 10. I always add one more game because I, I think I have to season. add another game. Yeah. So let's say they they finish the season seven and ten and they pick eighth or ninth. They're a team that I could see with a couple of those extra picks they got in the McCaffrey trade trying to come up for a quarterback because they need an answer there. And so if they can come away from the top ten with a with a rookie quarterback and again they have most of that offensive line back, you drop in, you have DJ Moore, you have Terrace Marshall. I really want to make sure they have the offensive plan solidified for whoever that quarterback ends up being, because I don't want them to walk into a team with a defensive minded head coach and a first year coordinator, first year play call or whatever it looks like. And have that guy to be, have that guy be in a bad situation from the get go. That would concern me. Yeah. Right. You want, you want to marry the play caller and the offensive coach by securing him a head coach to the rookie quarterback. I get that. At the same yes. time, I want to see D'Amico coach this. I want to see D'Amico coach Jeremy Chin. And are you going to keep that from me? Are you not going to let me have that? I I want this for Panthers fans and whoever that guy ends up being that's their quarterback that does not get put in a shitty situation immediately. So I have the Patriots at 11 for all the reasons that I said. It's just the Belichick black magic factor is still real to me. And I'm sure that there's nothing logical about that. I Their offense is disgusting. Like of all the offenses on this list, outside of maybe Tennessee with Malik Willis, I think I have the least faith in the current state of the Patriots offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Who else would it be? No, it's it's it like and at least Sam Darnold was ones, playing so much better than, than right. Mac Jones is right and, now. And the the important thing is, it's not even like like all right, we're playing really bad, but here's what we want to be in our identity. Here's what we're going to try to figure out. They all don't like each other. Mac yeah. doesn't like the receivers. The receivers don't like Mac. Mac doesn't like Matt Patricia. Patricia calls like he hates everybody. Like it's there's not nobody's happy. So why would I believe they're going to get better? Yeah, they they have three spots on this list for me solely because of earned equity. That's, that's yeah, exactly. the only reason. It's just that hard to pick against Bill. You had Washington at ten. Yep, I I think that's totally reasonable. If I could do it over again, I think you've swayed me. I would probably have them higher. Mm-hmm. Speaking of earned equity, I have the Bucks at ten. I just I I don't know why. No. I I just there is some version of them out there still in my mind, mostly because they have that we can jump on you for one game defensive plan looming somewhere. I still, I still believe that with bowls and with the players that they have on that side of the ball, I think that they could be a problem for someone for a one game stretch. And even if it's Dallas, like I just think that is looming somewhere, but I, they're obviously the concerns about their offense are very real. Even if you want to say there's that game where Brady and the receivers somehow figure it out, the state of the offensive line is such that it's preventing yeah. them from being like an operational unit. And like if they still like talk about earned equity, if they still had Bruce Arians, sure. Like Bruce has been around, man. Bruce yeah. has done this multiple teams, multiple playoff runs, different locations, different ways. Uh, Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich have made it clear that they're not interested in playing winning football on offense. They've been explicit, like a uh, short of saying we don't want to score points and win games. They've said we don't want to score points and win games. So I'm not if you don't if you're not going to try, I'm not going to believe you. Like that to me, I could not be more out on the Bucks. Yeah. 
I understand that. Again, it's just one of those things that maybe it's the names and the laundry and other reasons that don't actually matter when it comes to this exercise. Right, but it's just but... tough when you got to actually put a number on a list. That's that's where my my number nine team were coming up on. This was the team that got me in terms of like you know earned equity and and whatever. I have the Packers at nine. And oh, see, I, I have the Packers higher than that. <laughs> yeah, see, so when I first started listing the Packers, I had the Packers down in like the bottom tier. I was like, yeah, I don't take this team seriously. I it, it's very clear to me that I don't. I've seen the way that Rogers, you know, quiet protests the offense by just chucking up nine balls when he has open receivers. I've seen the way that defensively Joe Barry is just the definition of insanity. I'm gonna roll out the same stuff every single week, lose the same way every single week, and act perplexed when it happens every single week. And then I saw stinking little Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers have never lost in December graphic. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like they, they tend to be really good late in the season. Like obviously playoff issues and like, you know, Mike Pattinson a problem for them, but they've been really good late. And then you start looking at numbers. This team is uh, sixth in DVOA since week eight. They're yes. first in pass defense DVOA since week eight. I didn't catch that. I didn't see that happen. You go and you look at the quarterbacks they play and you feel a little bit better about that number, but they have objectively played much better football in the back half of the season than they played in the front half of the season. I They've done it by like running the football and being diverse with their two back sets. It's not like Rodgers is out here like diming up Romeo Dobbs and Randall Cobb has fixed the passing game and Christian Watson's developed. It's not like they're like what they were last year, what they were with Devontae, but the running game works for them. The offensive line has been much more steady. This whole David Bakhtiari saga aside, like when they have their five out there, like Zach Tom played well at left tackle, like they... That, that front has become a lot more trustworthy. And then defensively, it's they haven't fixed anything, but having seven first-round picks and then two more big free agent contracts helps. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like, all right, they benched Darnell Savage. Like, great. You know, like, I don't really think Rudy Ford has actually changed that much. I just think it's hard to have a really, really, really bad defense when Jair Alexander and and Devondre Campbell and Kenny Clark and Rashawn Gary and uh, uh, Preston Smith and whoever you want, when all these talented players are out there, Quay Walker, right? It's it's difficult to just be bad. And so they, they've, they've, they've stepped up just by virtue of their talent lifting the boat. So Green Bay had them low. And like when I first, I first like did the list to kind of understand my tiers and let me see if I can poke holes. And then they just started to climb and they started to climb and they started to climb. And now I'm at the point where I'm like, yeah, Green Bay, I think I can beat them. I know how to beat them. I know where this defense is weak. But ah, they are tough. They 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 are a, they got a lot of talent on that team, and they're tough out. All right, so you're helpful with this because now you're you're in a situation where the team that you root for is going to play the seven seed if the seven seed wins. Mm-hmm. So we're going to figure out exactly how dangerous that seven seed is if they go play against the Eagles. So you are more afraid as an Eagles fan of the Lions than you are of the Packers. Yeah, yeah, Detroit at any time can score 35 points. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. No, 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 no. I, I am very fearful in the playoffs of offenses that can just pop. That can just like, you know, oh shoot. We, we aren't dialed in on the play action stuff. We can't, we don't have an Amon Ross St. Brown on third down answer. And they're just shooting DJ Chark down the field, shooting Jamison Williams down the field. They're just hunting big plays. And if I don't get a pass break, if I have one safety with fat, flat feet, I'm giving up seven. That, scares me. And that's the thing like, that the Packers don't do that. The Packers don't have the downfield passing game. They have not figured it out all season. So for the Packers to beat me, to score points, they got to string drives together. It's going to give me more opportunities for a stop. Oh, the see, I think, Watson has given them an explosive, I think Watson has given them explosive play potential in the way they did not have in the first half of the season. So Watson's 
downfield pass like his his explosive production has been very heavily yards after the catch right yes like behind line of scrimmage like intermediate stuff and then obviously he had that 67 yard house call against my eagles reed blankenship in his first ever game was like i know how to take an angle and then christian watson was just gone so that like absolutely like when they can get him the ball in stride and everything but like that aspect of the offense which requires like timing and and trust and throw over the middle of the field aaron Rodgers has been extremely disinterested in this season so there's still like disharmony in in the passing game that the lions are clicking on all cylinders in their passing game all right so i have those teams a little bit higher which we can get to in a second i have the giants at nine okay i have the giants at eight okay so we're, we're in a similar spot with that with that team i just think that they have the potential offensively, even with no receivers, even with Daniel Jones, even with an offensive line that's been spotty, which understandable. They have a rookie right tackle and they've had some rotating pieces for most of the season. Can still do some stuff. Yes. <laughs> like they, their their efficiency throwing the football just by smoke and mirrors and gum and toothpicks and bullshit is remarkable. And I think for one single game, what Dable and Kafka could do to the wrong sort of defense is very real. And I also just think that the volatility on defense is something that would frighten me a little bit. They've been on the wrong side of that volatility for most of the second half of the season. They've been one of the worst pass defenses in the league. The lack of real secondary talent and personnel that they have has shown up in a big way. But there's still that game where they blitzed fifty. They blitz fifty five percent of the time. They get two turnovers. Daniel Jones is somehow he finishes like eighteen of twenty four. He has four mm-hmm. rushing first downs off scrambles. They hit one big play. Like, that version of a Giants team is very easy for me to imagine in the playoffs. Yeah. The way I keep talking about the Giants in the playoffs, they're like over ninety percent chance to make it. Right? The way I keep yeah, talking, they're probably going to make is- it. Yeah, I keep saying I'm so excited to watch the Giants playoff game. The one, because they will only have one, because they will lose. But I can't wait to see what they do, right? Brian Dable's got some play he's cooked up in like 2017, chilling in the Alabama offenses, watching Southern Miss, going, oh, we should do this. And he's just been holding it for six years, waiting to be the head coach of a playoff game, a triple reverse pass. They're going to have two fake punts. They're a, they're a chaos team. They're a volatility team. When I think I'm square better than the opponent, Carolina, Tampa Bay, New Orleans, New England, I think I'm square better. I love it. When I think I got a chaos team that can just introduce variance, all right, I still think I'm better on paper. I absolutely do. I can beat Isaiah Hodges. I can beat Nick McLeod. But this team invites rolls of the dice. And in doing so, they level the playing field. They make luck matter more in a game. And when I'm the better team, I don't want luck to matter. So the Giants are absolutely a, like, I'm not scared of them. I don't want to play them, though, because I don't want to deal with the way that they approach football. It's a testament to the coaching staff. You say the one playoff game. We are a Vikings win against the Packers and the Niners winning out away from the Vikings going to Minnesota because the Viking the Vikings are now the three seed and yep. the Niners are the two seed. The Vikings absolutely could lose to the Giants in that rematch. <laughs> they almost, they almost lost it. on Saturday. Right. It took a 60 plus yard field goal, which my buddy at Next Gen Stats, Keegan Abdu, he, he, he's a big Giants fan. He told me that uh, since 2016, there have been like five 60 plus yard field goals that have been made less than two minutes left that have led to a lead change and three have been against the Giants. Just so unfortunate. That feels like five of them have been the Vikings this year. It's unbelievable. So yeah, like that's the thing is I say like they're going to play the one playoff game. Well, if they get the Vikings, anybody can win. You know, the Vikings are a whole separate thing we're going to talk about. Uh, 
I I think that the, right the way you said it with that that defense and the variance like they've been blitzing less recently, but they still have those pitches right. They are a team that likes chaos. They play you in difficult ways. They run Daniel Jones. They throw down the field. They do a lot of stuff that causes a lot of headaches. So the Giants are again like, do I think they're legit? No. Do I want to play them? Still no. <laughs> Who do you have at nine? You have the Giants at eight. Yeah. So I I had the Packers at nine. I had the oh, Packers at, at nine. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So who's at and, seven for you? Yeah. And that's the top of my like. Okay, these guys are a little bit of a headache tier. My next tier, which has three teams in it, is like, all right, I could see a run happening. I can talk myself into it. And seven for that is the New York Jets. I uh, talk about takeover units, man. I don't want to play this defense. Get me away from this pass rush. Yep. Don't let me near it. I don't want to try to sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, Michael Carter. I don't want to handle it. I don't want to get hit all January, a whole game by Quincy Williams and by CJ Mosley and Quan Alexander. I don't need this team speed in my life. No, thank you. And then offensively, when they have Mike White out there, I mean, Mike's got to stay healthy. Mike's got to protect himself better. He can't just be like dealing with a nagging rib injury for the entirety of the playoffs. He's cleared. He's back. He's going to play this week. But when White's back there, they shoot. They get Garrett Wilson down the field. They get Corey Davis down the field. They do all their stupid little yak stuff. They get Braxton Berrios moving around. They run their little CJ Uzoma, Tyler Tyler Conklin screens and like all this knucklehead stuff. And then all of a sudden there, White will push the ball down the field on a one-on-one. And they have the receiver talent to make you pay for that. Like Elijah Moore's woken up, right? Like you forget just how many good skill position players they have, even with the running back injuries where they've just boop, popped Zonovan Bam Knight and been okay. So with White there, the offense is tenable. It's got some teeth to it. It's got some aggressive throws down the field. You think about that Vikings game, the way they're pushing the football, they die in the red zone, but like that's a noisy thing. Just like the Giants, they were right there on Minnesota. But really it's that defense where if you tell me, you know, all like, you know, the Jets made it to like the divisional round. The Jets were like with the Chiefs late in the fourth quarter in the divisional round. I can promise you it's because their pass rush was just taking over games. This is one of the best pass rushes in the league. I would like to avoid it. Yeah, they're not they're eighth for me. So we're we're in the exact same range for everything that you just every reason that you just said. I mean, this is still one of the best defenses in the league, top to bottom. And I I honestly do think that having Mike White playing gives the defense a different sort of juice than they have with Zach Wilson. I think that's very yeah. real. I think that it's a deflating presence when Zach Wilson has been in there. You could see it on the offense, and I think that it starts to wear on the defense a little bit. Like that, the way they came out against the Jags, I think is slightly influenced by the quarterback who's in the game. I truly do believe that. And I think having Mike White back, some of the numbers are a little bit inflated just because it, one of his three starts is against that Bears team that was not a functional NFL defense when he was playing. So yeah. that that's something to keep in mind. But I'm with you. Like they, The defense can absolutely keep them alive. He can make the four or five throws that they can't get from any other quarterback on their roster right now to unlock the skill position talent that they have. The offensive line, no matter who's playing quarterback, is still a concern. Like That is the one area where it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. That's going to be a problem. If you look at it right now, the Jets win out and the Patriots lose one of their next two. Jets are in. Yeah. So the Jets have Seattle this week in Miami next week. It's no easy feat for them to win those next two games. But the Patriots have Buffalo in week 18. And Buffalo will likely need that game to get the number one seed. So the Patriots losing one of the next two is a, that's probably going to happen. So then the Jets... Yeah. Only need to beat Seattle and then Miami in week 18, and we'll see what Tua's status is and who's playing quarterback for the Dolphins. A couple little uncertainties there, but it's not crazy for the Jets to make it. It's not like a 0.2% chance when they need all these things to fall in place. The AFC is big Seattle fans this week. I'm very confident about that. If if you're picking Jets or, or Patriots, man, I do not want to see this Jets team. 
Yeah, I 100%. I, I'm absolutely with you. All right. I have the Lions at seven. Okay. I have Lions at five. If they get the seven seed, Minnesota is the two seed. I greatly prefer that. Not only because the Niners are obviously a better team than the Vikings. I think that this home and away split stuff for the Lions offense is also a outside and inside split stuff for the Lions offense. Them playing in a dome is much scarier to me than them playing anywhere outside. So if they can go to Minnesota and play inside in the wildcard round, I absolutely think they can beat the Vikings. I mean, even yeah. just those two teams are, we just saw them beat the Vikings at home. They were favored to beat the Vikings. So, but if they go to Philly outside in whatever that weather is going to be in Philadelphia in January against this team, are you really afraid of the, of the Lions offense? 38-35 was the score of that week one game. And that was before the Lions even figured anything out. <laughs> they were still making stuff up in week one. The the Lions, I think there's a, a trap with the Lions that's similar to the trap we talked about with Washington, where it's so easy to get a foot ahead and start thinking, all right, 2023 with a different quarterback, what can this potentially look like, right? Where they are right now is Jared Goff in, in a comfortable command of an offense. Goff knows where his buckets are. He knows where his, his third down guys are, right? Amon Ross St. Brown and Khalif Raymond, they get designed up. They get the rub routes. They get the releases. He knows how to get their, their play action looks. He's willing to shoot the ball deep, and he knows that Chark will pay him off. He knows that Jameson Williams will pay him off. He knows he can get yards after the catch, and you've got all these excellent short yardage signs. One of the things that about the Lions that's really impressive is they're really, really good third and short, fourth and short, they, they've they lost on more failed fourth down conversions because of how many they go for. So yeah. it seems like they're not like a great short yardage team. They're actually an excellent short yardage team. And I don't think that design. whatsoever. Yeah. They they only do that because they go for so many fourth downs. They've been fantastic exactly, yeah. in those situations. Yeah, so you have uh, you have a team that, that it's tough to get them off the field because they're going to play and use all four downs and they're going to be able to pick up that, that extra yardage. They're good after the catch. And Goff is... is for everything that Goff is and what he isn't for like, you know, okay, he's not mobile and he crumples under pressure and all of that. He is, he, he knows how the offense, he's in total command of the offense. He knows where all of his buckets are. And that's when like the, when the Goff McVay offense was working, it was just this, this point guard distribution, right? This ability to always get to the right spot, get to the right read. And then he delivers accurate footballs. If you can pressure him, you can, you can throw him off. And that's why like, all right, like, can we avoid the 49ers, right? And like, how what, how are we taking steps through the playoffs here? But it's like I said, when, when we first started talking about where I had the Lions ranked, I do not like playing teams that can put me in a boat race. If I'm the favorite team, if I'm if I'm the, 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 the clearly better team, the higher seed, I do not want to see a pregame total of 52 and a half. That's what worries me. Now we're in a who has the ball late in the fourth quarter? Who has the missed field goal? Who has the, the fumbled snap? What's the one play that decides this? I don't want one play to decide if I'm the better team. So the Lions' ability to pour points on and pour points on quickly has me spooked uh, for uh, spooked to play them more so than uh, the Jets who I have at seven and then the Jags who I have at six. I think that's a totally reasonable argument. I am still concerned about the state of the defense, even if it's been better. Yeah, you notice still... how I didn't bring them up once. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was clever it, by me to kind of, you know, pretend it's only one half. And obviously, you know, your offense being better is the more important factor. It's always going to be the case, even as you get into playoff football. You want a team that can put up points. We've seen that over the last few years. That's the most important element of being a real team in the postseason. But I still think the defense can be such a letdown in, in any single game. We saw it against Carolina, but that's not the only game. We've seen that plenty. Kirk Cousins absolutely sliced and diced this team uh, a couple weeks ago. So the defense and where it's at right now and being able to put the, like those linebackers in the current state of that position in absolute hell, I think a lot of teams can accomplish that. I also think that 
again, the home run splits are a little bit concerning to me and what they look like throwing the football yeah. outside. And their running game has not been very good recently. Over the last six weeks, yep. you know, they're 23rd in rushing success rate and EPA per rush. 23rd over the last mm-hmm. six weeks. It's yeah. not just a one game blip against Carolina. So if they're going to go to Philadelphia and it's going to be 27 degrees and they're going to have to run the ball a little bit. I am concerned about their ability to do that because they have not shown an ability to do that consistently over the last six weeks, even though they've been able to throw the ball all over the yard against certain teams when they play at home. So I just think that there are enough little pieces and enough little holes in the argument for them that they're a little bit lower to me, even though at their peak, they have arguably the scariest offense left on this list. Yeah, the running game thing is is, is starting to bother me. Running back by committee has jumped the shark. Like, yeah, we get it. Like, the, the hot hand gets the touches. Like, congrats. You guys have developed a lot of talent. It's time to just put the ball in Jamal Williams' belly 15 times. Like, enough Justin Jackson. DeAndre Swift is a good third down back. We don't need to be doing this, right? Just commit to what you got. The other thing is I think they've spent less time, less resources developing their running game because of how impressive their passing game has been. And that's nice and that's good until, right, you get golf in an outside windy game. And then you're like, oh, you know it would be great if we could do right now? Run the football. Let's we'll yeah. get back to that. So there's there's been a little bit of like a, an out of balance there. I think that's a sort of thing that can get corrected quickly though, because they've had that running game, right? It's just okay. We got to go back and figure out where we want to put our sliders. Fifty five percent, forty five percent. What do we want to commit to here? Uh, the the thing I did not think about that's like a very good point is that home road aspect and what golf's looked like in, in the colder weather and with the wind. Again, like getting Minnesota is really really important for that Lions team if they sneak into the playoffs. You play them as opposed to right having on a path that has you see the Eagles, has you see the Niners play outside, potentially playing cold weather. That matters for Jared Goff a ton. Yeah, I typically don't really give a shit about stuff like that, but with them and with him, it does feel important in yep. a way that it wouldn't with every single team. All right, so. Where are you at right now? Lost track. So yeah, I had uh, Jets at seven, uh, Lions at five. This all in my tier of like, uh, they worry me. And I have the Jags at six. They're the last team in that in that tier for me. Uh, I actually struggle to place Jacksonville a lot. I don't know about you, but I, I had a hard time figuring out where I wanted them to go. I did as well. I At first, I had them a little bit further down. And then as I kept thinking about it, I kept pushing them up. So I have the Packers at six. And... Mm-hmm. It, we talked about it a little bit. You mentioned the defensive stats. Those are were a little bit surprising to me, but I I think that they figured out something a little bit with Rasul Douglas playing back outside and with benching Savage and with you know, getting Devontae Campbell back, I think has been nice. Obviously, he missed that stretch like four or five games in the middle of the season. They still have so much talent on that side of the ball, even if you have very little faith in the way that it's coached and, and some of the choices that they've made over there. I still think that one, two games, they can absolutely put it together. And if they're healthy on offense, I think that they have the potential to be dangerous. If Bakhtiari is playing, if Nyman isn't going to miss a bunch of time, if Aaron Jones can hopefully with a little bit less of a workload over the next couple weeks, be relatively healthy by the time the playoffs start, if they sneak in, and if Watson can continue to play, I really do think he gives them more pop that they did not have in the first half of the season, whether it's after the catch, whatever, just an explosive element to their offense that they were lacking when he wasn't playing. So mm-hmm. them at full strength, I just think that they have a, a puncher's chance to me on both sides of the ball in a way that's a little bit better than the Lions because I have more faith in the defense. Yeah. The other thing about the Packers that it probably deserves mention is it's not a very trustworthy, trustworthy playoff field of coaches. Right, like yeah. Nick Sirianni hasn't really like he's you know his one game wildcard round lost in his second year. Uh, you have uh you know uh, Kevin O'Connell right he's in his first year kind of hasn't really done the playoff run. He's obviously been on teams that have been on as the head coach. 
You got Kyle Shanahan. I love Kyle. I would do anything for Kyle. He's incredible. Performance in January has been a thing that has been an issue for Kyle Shanahan teams, right? And you have like Dan Campbell, who's going to be his first time making playoff runs. You, depending on who you get out of of the NFC, right? Okay, you're getting Todd Bowles. Maybe you're getting Steve Wilkes, right? Like it's just not a very playoff experienced NFC coaching field. And then there's Matt LaFleur, who's just been around, who's seen a lot of it. And as generally, I think coached well in the playoffs, he just had troubles with the defensive side of the ball. So there's also a, a coaching and a, and a veteran quarterback advantage that the Packers have if they get I was going to say, you that, didn't yeah. mention Aaron Rodgers in any of this, which even if it's yeah. been an up and down year for Aaron Rodgers, there's always that game lingering out there somewhere where he can just get absolutely ridiculously hot. And I would be concerned about that. So to me, it's a health thing first and foremost. If they can get healthy, I do think that they're scary. You're looking at their pads to the playoffs. If Washington loses one of their next two, which includes a game against the Browns, who have been really good defensively over the last six weeks in a way that's very surprising. I I was shocked when I looked at the numbers. So they're playing a Browns team that is dangerous simply because they're stopping people right now, even if their offense is unwatchable. And then they play Dallas in week 18. We'll see what Dallas has to play for. That'd be the only concern if you're Green Bay. But if Washington loses one of their next two games and the Packers win out, the Packers are in. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's all it takes. I mean, that's not a crazy scenario. So them getting in is something that I can picture and them being a problem if they do get in, if they're close to full health, I I think that that's why I have them as high as they do. So I had the Jags at five. Talk about it was hard to place the Jags. I had them a little bit higher than the Packers simply because I think the offense is kind of rolling, man. Like the, what they can be offensively and what they look like when everything is clicking right now on that side of the ball, that's scary to me. And, and the way that he is playing right now, combined with a play caller that is just annoying as shit with some of Love the stuff him. that they're doing, Love I, that, then that is something that would worry me if I were a team in the AFC. Like right now, as it currently stands, the Ravens would go there. As the five seed, they would go to Jacksonville. We just saw the Jags beat the Ravens. And then the Jags would go to Buffalo. If Buffalo and every if everyone takes care of business, that means the Jags would go to Buffalo in the divisional round. I could see them giving the Bills problems in right. the divisional round if that were to happen. So that's why I have them so high. I'll tell you the other thing about the Jags that is important and hasn't really been talked about so much on Trevor, so much on Doug, and appropriately so. They moved Darius Williams to outside corner. And Tyson Campbell's been playing well. And since they moved those two guys to outside corner, the defense makes more sense because the spine is weak, right? Interior, they don't have like a great run stuffer. Their linebackers are young players, right? Foyer, Luakon on the big contract, Chad Muma rotating in for Devin Lloyd. Then safety, right? Where they got Andrew Wingard taking snaps. The spine is weak. But when your outside corners can play really well, you can generate a lot of resources. You can put a lot of bodies in the middle of the field and help solve some of those problems. You don't get run on as easier because the safeties can play lower. They can play more aggressively against the run. You can fill those areas with zone players. You can make those windows smaller. That's where you've been beating the Jaguars, and they've they've been a little bit better there recently. And you watch the film, you try to figure out why. And it's because the outside is strong, and so they're they're, they're able to pour more resources there. So I, I like the play they've gotten out of the outside corners. I love the play they've gotten out of Trevor Lawrence. I am worried about the front, the offensive line. Because that Lions game, I can't get out of my mind. We're like, the Lions did not come walking in with that great pass rush. Like, oh man, like Aiden Hutchinson, Romeo Quarter, you know, dominating Aline McNeil. And uh, Luke Fortner, who's their center, I think has done a nice job as a rookie growing year over year. Or not year over year, week over week, he's a rookie. But he's six foot six, 300. It's a very weird build for a center. 
and he just loses him and Ethan to, Pocic in a league of their own. Yeah, I know. And he just loses to these like real big stout bodies. And then they got Tyler Shatley playing left guard, and teams have zeroed on Tyler Shatley. You watch the last few weeks when 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 uh, when defenses decide, hey, let's go get a bucket, let's go get an early down rush. Right, the Jets first drive, first third down. What they do? Manufactured a Quinn Williams versus Tyler Shatley one on one, and Quinn won that rep immediately. So they have pass protection problems that do worry me in terms of if they get into that AFC playoff picture and they start playing some of the really good fronts, like even the Buffalo without Vaughn, I think they're going to struggle to pass protect. And so that was the thing. I end up with them at six because I, I believe in the star power of Lawrence. I believe in some of the, the outside players that they've gotten, the improvements, the young players who've gotten better. The thing that, that really is, is tough for me to get my eyes past is the offensive front. That's interesting. I totally reasonable. They're also banged up. A lot of those guys are on an injury right. report right Cam now. Cam Robinson sure. out, yeah. Well, Cam Robinson's right. Walker Little's been fine. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're going to have a backup left tackle play, he's been much better than a lot of swing tackles around the league would be in that situation. The interior, like you said, that, that play against Quinn and Williams sticks out in my mind. And Scherf's got dinged up last game. Juwan Taylor's on the injury report. So I, that's a, some, a concern I had not thought about. I'm still worried about the defense. I just think they've been so inconsistent throughout the entire year. And even if they have that maybe solve at that outside corner spot. I'm still worried about just the state of the defense overall. No, I would agree. Generally, the defense is inconsistent. I think they've been better. I think they're playing some of their best ball, especially on the outside against the pass in the last few weeks. Uh, Like even the Cowboys game, like you go and you watch that back, like right, Dallas scored a lot of points. They're throwing the football well, but you go and look at like where Dallas is getting their production and how difficult it is to get it. Like they tough completions, yeah, really tough completions in that game. Dak freaking Prescott, man. This is not the point of the pod, but holy Moses. Poor Trey Herndon was doing his best, man. He really was. Yeah, he was living out there. The uh the the Jags are still volatile. They're still a young team. The Jags are still very much about twenty twenty three, Calvin Ridley trade and everything that comes after that. But still right now there's danger. There's danger because Doug's been around. Doug like he said is just a Thorn, man, Doug is an issue, and Trevor's playing the best ball of his career. So you got a good head coach and a good quarterback, you got a fighter's chance. If we're stacking up the most annoying play callers on this list independent of offensive talent i think kafka dable is probably one and i would probably say that doug is two yeah would you say that's fair i would the best thing about doug's like i watched that offense so much as, as an eagles rider and as an eagles fan and then like i've seen it a bit like this year jags in and out whatever and then i went and i wrote a trevor lawrence piece and i forgot how when like some offenses when they have a weak they, they see a weak point in your defense they're like all right we're gonna attack it here's what we're gonna attack it we're gonna attack it with this route with this player with this combination doug sees a weak point and then goes here's how we're gonna attack it and there's just like a menu of 19 different things like yeah. oh you're a penetration front how do you feel about screen after reverse after throwback after quick game after screen after like he just hit the the menu this guy's got it just makes him so hard to get a thumb on his pulse he's so much fun yeah i really enjoyed the cowboys game and then even watching the early part of that jets game when it was raining and you know they were throwing the ball two yards in the air every single time they put it in the air and it was again screen the play action screen little slip route i mean just all of those different ways to get the ball in those guys hands when it was pouring outside he just found answers to a lot of problems this year in ways that i find very fun all right, so you have the Jags at six. Who do you have at five? Five for me is the Lions, and that okay, finishes right. that. Finishes that. These guys are good, but I still feel okay tier. The final tier with four teams is the, yeah, these guys might actually be legit contenders tier. So we have four teams. We have the same four teams in that final tier, which is interesting. Yeah. All right, so who do you have at four? So four for me is the Vikings. I, I've recently decided to heel turn on the Vikings. I'm just, if once you, once you execute a 33-point comeback, I'm in. 
I don't know how you did this. I don't know what sacrifices to which gods you executed, yeah. but you did it. And so I, I can't argue with it. Like, if you're just going to win every game, then you're going to win every game. I don't, the reasons that escape me, but go for it. Why not? The defense is so susceptible that it's tough to rank them above the other teams, even like the other teams in this tier who have shaky defenses. Uh, the defense, it's so clear how to beat it. They, they, they let you get easy stuff on them. They're going to force themselves to play in shootouts. They're going to ask themselves to get more and more Kirk Cousins fourth quarter comebacks, but he's got like seven of them on the season or whatever it is. And here they are. And they're going to have two home playoff games. It would appear, right? There's a chance to go three seed, but they're, they're, they're going to have at least one home playoff game. And and every hole they could dig themselves into, every bad spot, every pickle they could find themselves in the fourth quarter, they've been there before and worse. So why not? You know what I mean? Uh, I don't rank them among these other teams in this group, but it was tough to knock them a tier below. Like they, They're here. They've only lost three games. And talk about takeover players. If Justin Jefferson decides to beat you, just take your ball and go home. If he decides to beat you, he decides to beat you. Ask the Bills. Game over. right? And so the uh, Minnesota, as fun as they are to joke about and make memes about, here they are, and you, you can't you can't deny the fact that they are here in this place with these home playoff games. I'm kind of in the same place where it's like, yeah, yeah fuck it, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm just over it. Like I'm into it now, and that's why I have them at four partially because of that. And there are other reasons. So the Justin Jefferson thing is the number one. If I'm listing off the reasons why I think that this team is more dangerous than the teams listed ahead of me, it's because in any given game they're going to have the best player because he's out there. That's how good he's playing right now. In 2005. The Bears had this fantastic defense. They gave up 12.6 points per game. It was the second year of the Lovey Smith era. Erlocker was at the peak of his powers. Mike Brown was a superstar. They had Tommy Harris was, was playing incredible football. They had Lance Briggs, Peanut Tillman. They were awesome. They were the best defense in the NFL. They finished that season with an 11-5 and record. They hosted the 12-4 and Carolina Panthers at Soldier Field in the middle of January of that year. Steve Smith had 12 catches for 200 yards and two Healthy. touchdowns. Healthy. It, it was one of the most singularly dominant performances I have ever seen from a single player in a playoff game. And as I've thought about Justin Jefferson this year, I keep going back to that game. And like what one dude can do for you, even against the best defense in the NFL, it helped that they were playing against Rex Grossman, who went 17 of 41 in that game. But still, they put up 29 points against a team that had allowed 12 over the course of the regular season. Yeah. The uh, and as the special part of like Justin Jefferson takeover potential is how he takes over games, right? Justin Jefferson, unbelievable route runner, great separator. He's good after the catch, like all the stuff that we see. But the 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 stat, the next gen stats always put out puts out is the important one. The catches he makes with completion percent, like you know, expected yes. below fifty percent. The acrobatic catches, the one handed catches, the up against the sideline catches. Like he quite literally is the you know is the f it eighteens down there somewhere player. That's who he is. It's just like Kirk, get the ball somewhere near me, and I will make you correct. And that like that's why he's such a trap door. That's why he's such a, a break glass in case of emergency player. And so okay, the Vikings are down seventeen points in the fourth quarter. All right, well, now instead of waiting till second down to throw it at Jefferson, they're just going to start throwing him at first down, and he's going to pay him off. And so it, it becomes difficult to count them out. Ask any team that's played them this year. You can't count them out until it's triple zeros, man. Part of the issue is that it doesn't matter what you do to him. I mean, we just saw the last touchdown against the Giants. Even if you're going to bracket him in the biggest moment of the game, he has shown an ability to just shred teams yeah. that try to double him in all these he's situations. He started running that backside dig against like bracket where like he runs it with the pace and with the body positioning that... like. 
he knows he's got two guys on him and he's manipulating the dude behind him while looking at the dude in front of him. Like he doesn't even run it as if he's single cover anymore. He runs it to beat double coverage. That's the that's the nature of where this guy's at in his career. The idea that he can do that is what's so scary. And every place he can line up, the different ways they can get him the ball. We talked about it on this on the Saturday show. Like the fact that it was a third and eleven screen in money time when they needed him to make a play, and that's how they're getting him the ball. It's absolutely ridiculous all the ways that he can torch you. So that's where it starts. The other thing is against man coverage, they were awful early in the season. They they were seeing a ton of it, and over the first before Hawkinson got there, Kirk was thirty first among forty two quarterbacks in EPA per drop back against man coverage. Since Hawkinson got there, it's th- it's point three one EPA per drop back against man, which is like fourth in the NFL. Right. And they're seeing a little bit less of it. And I think that trade specifically, that's what I was interested in, is they can, can they get one more guy that can consistently beat man coverage because teams aren't afraid to play against them doing it? They're going to double Jefferson because they don't think anybody else can hurt them, even with Thielen on the field. And that has changed since Hawkinson got there. And I do think that's why we've seen a little bit of a change in the ceiling of their passing offense since he arrived. 100%. They've also been more willing to throw the ball down the field since he got there. So yeah. I think those two factors are really important to me. I am still absolutely terrified about the state of the interior of their offensive line. It's been that way all year, and that has not changed now that they're playing with a backup center. Yes, and Bradbury was the best guy they had on that interior, right? And like I think Ingram's gotten more guff than he's needed to get just because like the tackles have played so well and the entire offense has been so good. He's also had some very visible... Yeah, awful low points. Yeah. Like his it's, his low light reel is up there with anybody's this season. Right. It's like all right, you get beat by a good defensive tackle. That's one thing. You step on your quarterback multiple times when he's trying to leave the center in the season. He's ended up on his backside a lot of times this year. A yeah. lot of times. So it's it, and I'm talking it, about it, Ingram, not Cousins. Yeah. So it, it 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 is difficult. I do agree that the interior is a weak point, but they've also done a really good job masking it over the course of the season. Like that's been the most impressive thing for me with O'Connell. It's just like they're not really running like the golf stuff that we would expect them to run with cousins. They're running more of the Stafford stuff. If you're just talking about like Rams offenses of the past, but they've still found a way to protect their interior offensive line, which I think is, is, is huge kudos to that offensive coaching staff. I trust this Vikings offense a lot at this point. I think the Hawkinson point is really well taken. He hasn't even like really paid them off. Like he's like dropping balls in the end zone and stuff. It's just having another viable dude just to make man coverage more difficult for you to execute. For me, it's all the defense. It's just, I, Talk about toothless, right? I was I was saying toothless for the bottom tier. This defense d- deserves to be by itself in the bottom tier in terms of good offenses are not going to struggle to find yardage, find first downs, find conversions, to find scoring plays against Ed Donatel's group. I am glad they're blitzing more just because I wanted them to do something different. Mm-hmm. I am not overly enthusiastic or optimistic about what that group can do, but I think them just trying something that's a little bit different than they were over that stretch where they were getting absolutely hammered consistently is slightly encouraging, but I'm not excited about them. I, I'm totally with you on that. Right. All right. Who do you have a three? Three for me is tough. Uh, in, in large part, because we just don't know what the health of Tua Tungavailoa is. I got the Dolphins. Uh, I, I have the Lions at five on that idea of like, hey, I don't want to play the team that can score 35. If two is healthy and like is guaranteed playing in the playoffs, the dolphins might be one. I just don't talk about things. I don't want to deal with. I, this offense, like, like even with like the degree to which there's a blueprint out there, like teams have been playing them in different ways. They've been pressing coverage a lot more. Like there's absolutely stuff that's helping. It's just like barely staunching the bleeding though. It's not solving the problem. It's just slowing it and stemming it. 
the the Jalen Waddle touchdown against the Packers, the Trent Sherfield touchdown against the Niners. These are cases in point. The Tyreek Hill touchdown against the the uh, the Chargers. Both the fumble run after the catch one and the the press coverage one on one where Michael Davis heel clicks and it's over. It just serves as a reminder, and this is what I've always said about the Dolphins offense all year. When you make a mistake defensively against 31 teams in the league, they get a 25, 30 yard gain on you. When you make a mistake against the Dolphins, they score seven points. It doesn't matter from where. You they're they're at their own one. You make a mistake, they're going 99 yards. That's what this team speed does. And then the 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 speed, the ra- rapidness with which they play, with which Tua throws the football, one mistake, one trip up, seven. And having to deal with that in the playoffs is terrifying because it's just Coin flips can kill me. I get two plays go the wrong way. I get one pass interference, one holding call that didn't get called. I got one safety miscommunicating. All of a sudden, the Dolphins put up 21. Ask the Ravens, 28 points in a quarter, man. They get on top of you like nobody else does. So that offense with Tua in there would would be like, you know, to me, like DEFCON 5, like the, the thing I do not want to see the most. With as it is, we don't really know what Tua, you know, he's in the concussion protocol. We don't know uh, how quickly he's going to be able to get out of the protocol. If he's going to want to get out of the protocol, it's his third time in the protocol this season. Very movable situation. And then uh, whether they're one or three, Tua is healthy or not, defensively, they've got some stuff that works for them. The pass rush has been better with Bradley Chubb there. Obviously, Chubb's dealing with an injury of his own. I can get my guys in the secondary. I can pick on those dudes, but they do blitz and they do rotate coverages and they have great safety in Javon Holland. And they have great tacklers. They get you behind the line of scrimmage. This defense does have sustainable pieces to it. It's not a perfect defense. Yes. It's not a 90% but it does have legitness to it. And so even if they don't have Tua, there's still the team speed you got to deal with. And then defensively, they can cause problems for you. So the Dolphins, very legit. It's just, we don't know how legit because we don't know what, what uh, Tua's status is. I have them at three as well for all those reasons. I just think that the quick strike ability and what they can do in any given quarter, like they're just a basketball team that can go on runs. And that that's scary to me. And yeah. you, I mean, even if they play Kansas City in the first round, that's currently how it would be if they were the seventh seed and they went to KC. Like this is an offense that can theoretically go blow for blow with the Chiefs Absolute, offense. 100%. And there just aren't that many of those. So that's why I have them up here. I, I'm a little bit worried about just the way the two has played over the last month and your ability to get him. And I think that we've seen Spags do some just crazy game plan shit in previous playoff games over the years. And I think that that kind of game is also looming for him. So even if he does play, I think that factor in it is why they're a little bit lower to me. But it's the explosive offense element. Any team that can score 35 immediately is going to be really, really scary no matter who they're playing against. Yeah, it, it's it's that fourth quarter against the Ravens where it's like the Ravens played them well. Good scheme executed well didn't even like it's not even like turnover mistakes it's not even like penalty mistakes it's just little stuff and when you get when you give this Dolphins offense it's the best thing about Mike McDaniel it's the most impressive thing when you give them an inch he takes a mile in a way no other coach does just one little issue on one play and boom house call that's just terrible it's so 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 scary to play against so I I'm very interested to see what your one and your two are because the most difficult thing for me was figuring out these top two teams Baltimore and the Chargers but the Dolphins absolutely deserve an honorable gold medal for what they might be with Tua pending his his health over the next few weeks I have the Chargers at two who do you have it to I have the Chargers at two I was so I, I I have I have them at one and at two and I scribbled it and I changed it like two minutes before I got on the call. All right, walk me through it. <sighs> Elite quarterback, I would not like to play. I'm gonna have to play one eventually. I would not like to play one a week early, and that's the case with Justin Herbert, and it's the case with Lamar Jackson. With the Chargers passing game, 
The improvements have been clear. It's better than what the the Ravens are going to bring out. Keenan Allen is healthier. He's definitely not healthy because he tried to turn up field after catching that little flea flicker pass and just simply could not. Uh, So Keenan's not 100%, but Keenan and then Mike Williams coming back from the the ankle injury, they have their full gamut of pass-catching weapons back, and that makes the passing game better. Here's the problem. It also enables Joe Lombardi. And this is the thing that, that to me, for the Chargers, is, is most frustrating. When they had their wide receiver issues and they had offensive line injuries, right tackle was a problem. They had a, le- a rookie left tackle, Jamari Saylor, starting. When they had all these, these problems, Joe Lombardi was doing the good thing. He was moving the pocket, move the launch point, rollouts, play action, design, get Herbert out from this pocket. We don't trust this pocket. And now the offensive line is playing a little bit better. Sailor has settled in. I think he's getting solid play from the left tackle. Decent quality play for like a late rookie. Good stuff. Trey Pipkins at right tackle. Zion Johnson at right guard. Another rookie has just gotten better week in, week out. They're getting better play from their line. And because Keenan and Mike Williams are back, you know what Joe Lombardi's doing? Not moving the pocket anymore. It was working. It was helping. It was good for the offense. Herbert throw on the move is astounding. He had, the ESPN put up the stat. 64% completion percentage outside the pocket this year. Get out of Dodge. That's unbelievable. And and the moment the offensive line shows a little bit of an improvement and the wide receivers get healthy again, Lombardi puts himself right back in his little square box. A three-step drop. The Chargers have given up like 20-odd sacks for the last five weeks. Right? It's, and Herbert's it's, been like, the sack stuff is wild. Is wild. I, I was yeah. going to talk about it. It's insane. And 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 Herbert has generally been like a good sack avoider, get rid of the ball quickly, low time to throw. He's still low time to throw. He's still low ADOT. So what's going on? They're not moving him. They're not giving him designed exits from the pocket. And so it collapses on him, right? Look at those Colt sacks. It's not like one guy's being one guy and Herbert can't make a miss. It's 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 crushing. It's suffocating. It's everybody's losing. There's no reason to be playing these five guys in protection against those four dudes for the Colts let alone for AFC playoff teams. And that that left meat on the bone. Like There's so much meat left on the bone offensively for the Chargers and for the Ravens. But that one particularly has got my goat right now. Both of these defenses are improving. Staley defense played better over the last six weeks. This Mike McD- McDonald defense, man, I tell you, like very get Roquan Smith in the building. You know, we stop with the injuries at corner a little bit. It's been a better even Tyus Bowser's back. It's been better. It's been solid for six weeks. So both defenses can win them games. Both guys have elite quarterbacks. They are fueled adjusters. They are tendency breakers. They are world enders. And both offensive coordinators leave leave me on the bone. So it's really a pick your poison in terms of who you don't want to see. I favor seeing the Chargers and 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 Joe Lombardi letting me rush and tackle Justin Herbert and get those sacks over facing Lamar and having to deal with the cha- the the calculus change, having to deal with the 11 on 11, having to deal with the quarterback run game, but really like it, it's very much picker poison between the two. I am genuinely concerned about the protection issues and the sack problem for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Like those numbers are stark. So over the first 10 weeks of the season, Justin Herbert had a 3.0 sack percentage. It was the best in the NFL. We were talking about it talking about how crazy it is that even with their offensive line injuries, this is a guy who just does not take negative plays. Okay. Over the last six weeks, it's gone from 3% of his total dropbacks to 9.2 was best in the league. Now he's 23rd among the 27 quarterbacks who've attempted hundred passes over the last six weeks. That's insanity. Yeah. I, I, it's shocking to watch him take four sacks a game. And I just looked it up while you were talking with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the field together. Eight percent of his dropbacks end in a sack. Yes, because they 8%. think that they they because they have wide receiver talent. They're like, all right, sick. Like 
Justin and Lombardi, like, this is also on Justin, think, okay, I'm going to be able to get through the reads and get to the backside. I better receive so work from the pocket. Right, exactly. Yep. Like, we're we're going to get it done. Like, this is the way our offense works. No, it's stupid. It's a dumb offense. Don't do this. I, I was shocked to, to see those numbers, but it felt like that. When I was watching them over the last few weeks, man, why does this feel so disjointed? And then you look at a box score, and I think last night he got sacked four times. He was, mm-hmm. it, every game, it seems like he's taken three or four sacks, and that just never happened before. So that emerging as a new problem for the Chargers offense the moment they get their pass catchers back, that's been really fun. So that's my concern, <laughs> is that even with those guys on the field, and even if I really like the personnel and the quarterback now, that issue cropping up this late in the season, that would worry me. I am the reason that they're this high on the list, though, is that I'm just picking the talent. Uh, I'm just saying the quarterback is that good. What he can do over a single game with those guys on the field is just so much better than a lot of the other offenses on this list combined with what the defense is doing. They are number one in success rate against the pass over the last six weeks. Number one. Brandon. I every time I'm out. Every time I think I'm out, I was so close, man. Every single time they're fourth in defensive DVOA over the last six weeks. And what's fun is watching them do it in a different way. The amount of pressure that they've brought this year and how they've really relied on that and leaned on that, especially on third down is different than what we've seen from them. They did a little bit last year, but it's not really in his DNA to play like this, but they've kind of leaned into that this year. They're blitzing on like 37% of third down snaps over the last six weeks, which is sixth yeah. in the NFL. And they're dominant when they do it. They're fourth in EPA per drop back on third down. It's helped Kenneth weeks. Murray. They've yes. figured out how to get good reps out of Kenneth Murray. That's like a national treasure plot, man. That's unbelievable. And Joey's not back. Joey Bosa might get be back. back on this defense, yes. dude. That, oh, so I hate how much I believe in this group right now. I it, it I I really, really wish I didn't. But that's where we are right <laughs> that's now. That's where we are. So I, I just, if they can do something to pump that to push that sack number down that that is really what's holding the back offensively because they were awful running the ball over the first half of the year they've actually gotten a little bit better on the ground over the last six weeks or so but it's all the sacks that they're taking it's short-circuiting drives it's been a huge issue they've also been really bad in the red zone over the last couple games so i think that like you said before that's often pretty volatile a little bit better luck in the red zone and if they just aren't taking so many sacks i think that's going to be the biggest thing you want to you want to solve the red zone problems throw the ball in first and goal (laughs) they they went they went first and first and goal from the 10 they went run run on the first and goal from the 10 second goal from the eight got to third and goal from the four and then tried to throw the football so they just spent two plays condensing the amount of space they could use to then throw it on third and goal, and Gerald Everett couldn't execute a pick route, and then Herbert had to, to to dirt the ball. He's guys, he's so good, guys, guys, guys. He's so good. Please just let him throw it first and goal. All right, we both have the Ravens at number one. I don't feel good about it. I do. I, I I've been comfortable staying on Ravens Island as people have sold stuff. I know you. I know you year. have yeah. been. I just the defense has been excellent over the second half of the season. Okay, mm-hmm. here's my here's my concern with this. Over the last six weeks, do you want to hear the quarterbacks that the Ravens have played against? Okay, Baker Mayfield, Trevor Lawrence, who went twenty nine of thirty seven for three twenty one and averaged point three one EPA per dropback. Healthy. Russell Wilson, Kenny Pickett, Deshaun Watson, Desmond Ritter. It's not great. It's not great. It's not great. Here's here here's my entire Ravens argument. They lost week two to the Dolphins, twenty eight point quarter in the Miami Heat nonsense game. They had a ninety percent chance to win the game. 
They lost to the Bills on the went for it on fourth and goal from the one, didn't get it driving, and the Bills walked all the way down the field and scored. They lost to the Giants on a on a late game fumble, and they lost to the Jaguars on a two point conversion. And then those are the four games Lamar has lost for them, right? Since then it's been four weeks of Huntley and uh and they lost to the Browns one of those weeks. There's like a legitimately coin flips, like weighted coin flips. They had 90%, 95% chance to win these games. There's a way that like, yeah, this Ravens team has got their issues, but they're like 12 and three right now. Like they're, 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 there's a way their record has them like securing the AFC North. This is an extremely well-coached team that walks out with great game plans every single week and still has. And this is so important to note, like Lamar is not like, okay, like Mahomes, Allen Herbert, like he's somewhere like in like that, that like five to eight, you know, quarterback overall ranking, like sure. But in terms of a one-off, one-week game, in terms of inconvenience to game plan against, in terms of the way he changes things, Lamar is 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 second only to Mahomes in terms of of like inconvenience, in terms of difficulty, in terms of the way he can equalize the scales. And that's what he does with this horrible receiver core and this banged-up offensive line and everything. He equalizes more so than a Herbert does. And that's why like I, I am okay with playing the Ravens. I am not okay with playing Lamar Jackson. I don't want to deal with it. I want to avoid the headache. That's why they're the biggest threat for me on the wildcard index. Yeah, among all of the quarterbacks in the league, I'm still giving Josh Allen that nod for the guy who equalizes the most outside of Mahomes. But I think that your point is well taken. And that is why they're number one for me, is that there are so many reasons as to why they shouldn't be. The state of this passing game, the state of the receiving core, the fact that their defensive numbers are often are probably pumped up a little bit by the teams that they've played against, but what he can do in a single game. And also, I feel better about their offensive line than almost any other offensive line in this entire conversation. Like the guys that they have up front and what they can do on the ground. Him right. being in there, what he can do on the ground game, and him making three or four plays with his legs, two or three big throws, and how well their defense is playing. I actually do have faith in their defense. Even though I do, I do. think it's a little bit inflated, I think they have good players. I think they've been well coached. I think they've really settled in over the second half of the season with a new coordinator with a lot of new pieces. Marcus Williams is back now. At Roquan Smith trade, like you mentioned. Top to bottom, I think defensively they're very good. On offense, I just think that for a single game, the five or six plays that he can make, even if I have a lot of trepidation about the state of the passing game, I believe in it. That's why they're yeah. number one. The uh, the way that, like, if you go and you look at, like, the defensive coordinators who've had a good handle on Lamar, too, like, the guys who've been able to stop him, like, Lou Anarumo has done a great job with the Bengals. They play the Bengals in Week 18, right? And, and in doing so, they have the potential to win the AFC North. And if they do and they come in as the three seed, I'm... Cincinnati will be the five seed. Like I'm, I'm fairly certain on the math. I don't know what the percentages are, but Cincinnati will be the five seed. They get the Chargers at the six seed, right? They can avoid Anarumu in the actual playoffs if they're able to handle them in Week 18. The Titans, right? Mike Vrabel's staff has tended to do a great job against the Ravens. Titans might not make the playoffs. Like they're ten. Like it is hard to stop Lamar. There are some guys who have who, have, who know how to do it. Like Belichick's done a good job with it. Whatever. Belichick's actually not that great, but like Vrabel and Anarumu, they might be able to avoid him. And that's the big thing for them to like making an AFC playoff run is what DCs do you get and how comfortable are those guys going up against this player? If they beat Jacksonville, right, on the road in Jacksonville, if Jacksonville ends up being the four seed, they would likely, if this, the Bengals beat the Chargers and the Chiefs beat the Dolphins, that's how it currently sits right now, they would go to Buffalo, right? Mm-hmm. They absolutely can give Buffalo a game in Buffalo. I wouldn't be, if, if you told me that the Ravens beat the Bills. 24-23 in Buffalo to go to the AFC Championship game. Would you be shocked? They had first and goal from the 10. Six and a half minutes left. That And they, they weren't able to score. And they weren't able to punch it in. And the Bills, they had the whole clock. They, they were 
they were an inch away, man. Absolutely, this team can give they can give Buffalo a game. They can beat Buffalo. Yeah, and I think that's why it, it, just putting it that in those simpler terms. Would you be more surprised if the Chargers or the Ravens beat the Bills in Buffalo? Yeah, I'd be more surprised if the Chargers. The Chargers still, yeah, me too. I just and, that, and it's and that's as simple as it gets sometimes. I can't see Buffalo getting boat race. I can't see the Ravens getting boat raced. I, I like Harbaugh, Lamar. They're going to keep them in games. It's going to be close. It's going to be tight. I can see the Chargers getting deleted. <laughs> I've seen it enough times that I can see the Chargers like losing that multi-score game. So yeah, Ravens won. I feel better about this now. Yeah, I, it was tough for me I, because again, I just. I have horror stories and like just memories of watching their passing game at times over this season with the lack of talent and the way that it's structured and just being like, I can't do this anymore. But the way the defense is playing and just him being on the field, that's why they're there. I mean, it's, it's, it really is that simple. All right. Ben Solak, that was fun. That was longer than I expected it to be. Thank you for sticking around. No, of course. It's, dude, it's 16 teams in what's been like the craziest parody everybody can be everybody year. So why not? Fun exercise. Uh, I don't feel any better about my list. If I could do it again, I'd probably have it in a completely different order. So <laughs> really, really sticking to my guns here. Guys, that's all we have for today. Tomorrow, Mike Sando and Randy Mueller will be back with the Football GM. So please go check that out. If you have not listened to our multi-part Week 16 recap that I did with Nate Tice, that is available in your feed. We recap the Christmas Day games and the Christmas Eve games. We also have a separate podcast about the Nathaniel Hackett firing that I did with our Broncos writer, Nick Kosmider. If you have not heard that, there's been a lot of podcasts that have come out over the last 24, 48 hours or so. So please go check those out. If you have not, we are not going to have a Thursday night recap this week on YouTube. Uh, It is the Cowboys against the aforementioned Malik Willis led Titans. So we're going to take Thursday night off. We're going to replace that with a Monday night recap next Monday. The Bills are playing against the Bengals. That is the best Monday night game we could ever hope for. So you are going to get a YouTube recap, and we're going to save it for Monday night instead. So please go check out Randy and Mike tomorrow. In the meantime, sincerely appreciate you guys listening. We'll talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.